마차도가 이제 사구째를 맞게 됩니다. 멀리 갑니다. 담장쪽 그대로 담장 넘겼어요. 득실 마차도. 마차도의 역전승이란다. But we celebrated with the start of the KBO season, so we'll talk about opening day in South Korea. Round two of Project GOAT has been scored, so we'll reveal the winner from this round. Got a bunch of great mailbag questions as well. We'll talk about what makes a number one starter, uh, ways that pitchers can develop movement on their fastball, and uh, probably a, a summary on the beer bracket at the end of the episode as well. You know, happy Tuesday. It feels pretty good to have more live baseball happening somewhere in the world, even though it runs overnight here in the States. Yeah, I tried to stay up last night, and when the rain delay hit, uh, I went to bed. (laughs) I did want to see some baseball. I'm watching it right now, watching Drew Rusinski, uh, who uh, was once in MLB and had become a reliever because he mostly only threw fastball and cutters, but here he is. In the second inning, uh, doing pretty good. So he is pitching for the Samsung. Nope, the NC Dinos against the Samsung. What are they? Lions. Lions. Yeah. Yeah. They might be the Samsung Lions. Lions. There we go. Got a shot of the hitter. Uh, It's fun. It's a fun league. Um, You know, the one thing that's nice about it is that uh, you know. Some may focus on uh, the fact that the talent level is quite not quite there. I mean, I, I think a lot of people focus on stuff like the bat flips and 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 stuff. But that's that. I mean, that's just a, that's one part of it. Uh, and some others might be like, "Well, this is not as good as Major League Baseball," which it is not. However, I would say that it's better than than low level minors. Um, I would say it's maybe even better than like Double A. Maybe it's on the sort of AAA level because what you've got are veterans. It's a lot like AAA where you've got veterans that know what they're doing and know how to play the game and know how to sort of sequence and know how to, uh, you know, locate and stuff. It's not like watching a ball where half the guys on the field uh, won't won't progress to the next level and can't command half their pitches and have, uh, you know, sort of wild approaches at the plate. These are these are refined players to some extent, and uh, the movement is there on the pitches, and uh, it's generally a good game. It, it, it's, it's a well, well-played well game, um, and after they deaden the ball, uh, it's not uh, a crazy home run contest anymore. So, um, and, and then it's fun also to kind of remember some guys and, and see guys like Drew Rusinski and Aaron Altair and Mel Rojas Jr., and, you know, every team has got, you know, three of them. So you, you, you're always sort of like... You can keep an eye out for for former MLBers while you're watching too, which is kind of fun. And uh, Dixon Machado, of course, had that big home run that you heard the highlight of in our intro today. And Machado is one of those guys. I remember watching him in the fall league, probably four years ago now. If I had to ballpark it, and he looked defensively like a big league shortstop without any sort of doubt. Like you could just tell he could make all the plays, and then some. And the bat hasn't ever really come around for him. Uh, he spent parts of four seasons with the Tigers, spent all of last season 
at Triple A Iowa with the Cubs, and you know we know there was a, a rabbit ball at the Triple A level. They use the same ball as the big leagues. We talked about that months ago. But Dixon Machado hit 17 home runs in 393 plate appearances. Uh, he's actually shown an ability to draw walks throughout his career. Uh, so he's a pretty interesting player because he's the kind of guy that in the States was running out of opportunities and maybe wasn't going to be able to fix some of his flaws as a hitter going to South Korea and spending this season or maybe a couple future seasons there. Maybe he comes back someday and actually carves out a big career. We've seen players do that. I mean, when Eric Thames left for Korea, it wasn't like we all sat around and said, well, this guy's going to come back and be a relevant (laughs) big league player someday. So that's kind of the fascinating story here, right? It's continued development time for hitters and pitchers alike who are facing, as you said, probably competition that's better than double A and very similar to what they would get at triple A levels in America. Yeah, I think maybe it's more likely for Machado to follow maybe what Jerry Sands did. I think he was one of the RBI leaders in the KBO last year, and now he's in Japan at the NPB. Um, And I just say that because there's just a long history with Dixon Machado of absolutely no power uh, and just one season. I suppose if he had a season this year where he hit more home runs like he did, um, he would, uh, you know, flash back on radars pretty quickly. He'd be 29, maybe get a, a two-year deal to be a kind of super sub somewhere. Uh, I could see that that happening. Um, but uh, to me, first, I wanted to just say that, like, even his GM, when when I interviewed him for a piece yesterday about how I interviewed him last week, but for a piece that came out yesterday that about how uh, the Lottie Giants are kind of using. Um, the some of the process that their that their GM uh, Min Kyu Sung uh, learned while he was with the Cubs. Uh, they're you know they're heavily investing in R and D. Uh, they're they're you know refocusing on their foreign players. Uh, you know th- it was a basically a, a three point plan for them. And one of the things that came up was that they targeted Dixon Machado not for his offense but for his defense and. He got a little bit of crap for that in the media and from fans because, you know, if you look at a lot of the other teams, they have power hitters um, that that they've, uh, you know, like Jared Hoying is a power hitter over there. Uh, He was targeted as a foreign player uh, for that reason. Um, And, uh, you know, Eric Thames, that's the kind of player that that fans want to see their teams uh, invest in when they when they get foreign players. Um, but, uh, Machado, you know, nice home run on a high pitch. Um, and, uh, if he's, if he's going to zero in on, on just taking high pitches far, then, uh, maybe, maybe he, that would skill would translate. The other thing I would say is that generally I would look more towards pitchers because pitchers can change their, uh, true talent, I think quicker. And we've talked about changing movement or, uh, changing, uh, grips, changing uh, pitch mix, adding a pitch, subtracting a pitch. Um, a lot of times people go over and refine their command. And that's one thing I heard from a pitcher in in Korea was that they were surprised at their strike zone and that it was a little bit different, they thought, than the um, than the, the players, the, the, the homegrown players. And that is something I actually showed uh, for Japan, that there was uh, evidence of a different strike zone for gaijin, as they call them there, as for foreigners. So I wouldn't be surprised if a pitcher goes over there and refines their command because they are on this 
uh, separate sort of grading scale, maybe. Um, and uh, that that follows a little bit what happened with Merrill Kelly uh, and Josh Lindblom. They they made some pitch mix changes and their command improved, um, and uh, both got major league contracts coming back. So I would look at Dan Straley, who pitched last night. Uh, he pitched fairly well, uh, four strikeouts, three walks, um, and then. Um, there was also Odrisama Despagne, who uh, lost his team lost, but Despagne didn't give up any runs and had eight strikeouts. I mean, it was one run and eight strikeouts. So, um, yeah, one run, eight strikeouts, four hits, six innings. That's a pretty good line. And Despagne is interesting because he had like 25 pitches. So maybe he goes to Korea and finds three or four pitches out of those 25 uh, that are that are better or refines one uh, and and gets another chance when he comes back. Right, the extra reps for a lot of the starters who would have probably fallen into relief roles had they stayed stateside. They get extra development time to work on all those pitches to improve command. Uh, it's just a it's a fascinating thing to see this league continue to improve and become a more viable option for pros to make a little more money, maybe even a lot more money than they would make. Uh, riding buses uh, around double A AA and triple A and to possibly come back with a chance of playing at the very highest level at some point down the road. Uh, Drew Ruchinski, also kind of interesting. He pitched yesterday as well, or Tuesday. It's the same day. These games were early, early Tuesday morning in the States. Uh, so if we, if we needed anything else to make time more confusing to track, uh, it's watching baseball in Korea. Uh, but yeah, this has been... This has been really fun learning about the league, too. I kind of started digging into it more when the Brewers signed Josh Lindblom back in December. The site that everybody's been spending a lot of time on, mykbo.net, is run by a guy named Dan Kurtz. He's on Twitter, at mykbo. It's a great resource. There's mykbostats.com. If nothing else, it's providing the box score fix that many of us have been filling with out of the park and stratomatic and mm-hmm. uh, other simulations over the last few weeks much better than the google box scores too yeah no these are these look pretty much like normal box scores yeah so definitely exciting to have live baseball back and i'm sure uh, we'll be staying up late often to uh, the, enjoy those games i did want to point out that uh, DraftKings is doing KBO DFS. Um, some of you might have already put in a lineup. Uh, I've got a piece up on the fantasy site called Baseball is Coming to Korea, the players known the KBO. And of the guys I highlighted, uh, one guy, uh, Baek Ho Kang, uh, or Kong, um, the outfielder for the KT Wiz, had a home run last night. And... Um, one major league scout described him as the Korean David Ortiz, uh, so that's a that's a fun guy. And then I think we'll have a couple uh, pitchers pitch day two that that I highlighted. Uh, maybe Siwoong Park for the Lottie Giants will pitch game two, or maybe that'll be Adrian Sampson. But um, I, I feel good the between that and the KBO piece about the Cubs way and the Lottie Giants. Um, I'm. You know, I think I can root for a team that's not in the league I cover. Uh, so I'm kind of rooting for the Lottie Giants. They got Dan Straley, Hank Conger, uh, Dixon Machado, um, and Sungwon Kim from Fangraphs. Uh, so uh, just and from the Athletic, he wrote for the Athletic too. So just a uh, a great uh, group of people. It seems like uh, even Josh Hertzenberg, who's a uh, a former Dodgers uh, scout and coach, uh, was was seemed like a really nice guy. So. Um, 
I think it's a, it's going to be fun, and it'll scratch a little bit of the itch uh, for the next few days. I'm definitely enjoying just even having a baseball game on as we talk because I'm I'm replaying uh, Rutinsky's game from last night, and it's just it just uh, soothes me a little bit uh, just to to have it on. And that's one of the things I did miss when people were saying like, "What do you miss most about baseball?" There's a there's a few things, but one of them was the ambient noise. It was the the sort of the baseball always being on. Yes, that is very true for me as well. Even when I'm not in the house, I'm listening to games on the radio. If I take my dog to the park and, and not having that is is pretty strange. But uh, I think I'm jumping on board with the NC Dinos, by the way. Uh, that's uh, Eric Thames' team from a few years ago. Aaron Althair is there right now. So uh, you know, if I'm going to jump into the DraftKings, he'll probably be in a few lineups. Just thinking strategy for a moment on DraftKings, I would have to imagine in part because they're in prominent spots in the lineup, but also because they're familiar names. I would imagine that the American players playing in the league are going to have pretty inflated ownership rates. So if you're thinking about stacking and and building lineups for tournaments, it might actually be generally just a good idea to fade a lot of the American players because of the lack of familiarity with most of the player pool. Not a full fade, but just be careful about only loading up a lineup with names that you've seen before. It is true, and the the, the only other problem is that they're the ringers in some in such to some extent. Um, last year, foreign players hit 309, 381, 493, um, around 16% better than league average as a group. And they pitched to a 327 ERA and a 120 whip, around 20% better than league average. So as a group, they're they're good. And, you know, I guess picking the right one at the right time, um, I have some park factors, some some sort of low-level park factors uh, in my piece. Um, and, and then getting to know some of the other ones, that'll be how you separate yourself. But, um, you know, Jared Hoying is a stud. Um, and, uh, you know, I have a feeling that Adrian Sampson is going to do well, uh, there, but there's also, uh, more than a few names that you won't recognize in that piece, uh, that'll help, uh, that'll help you sort of sort through the rest. Um, but it's fun getting to know a new league. Um, and I'm, and I'm glad they're playing baseball. Yes, I'm very glad they're playing baseball. Now we have an update from Project Goat round two. The leaderboard has been run and we have... Uh, a pretty clean top of the list. You know, you were saying before we started recording that I think 13 entries topped the uh, round one winner. Yes. And I was, you know, someone pointed out like, oh, couldn't the, the rerun, you couldn't a, a group one team win again? And I was like, yes. But I think knowing the targets is a big advantage. Knowing wh- what numbers you have to hit means you know how to sort of move things around and you have a goal. I mean, one of the parts that was so difficult about it to begin with was that you just didn't know what was enough of any one thing. I had way too many stolen bases in my run. I think I had like 500 stolen bases. There's nobody above 380 uh, in the top 15 in, in stolen bases. Um, and, and if you do that, uh, it's not like what you were talking about. You did a 1990 draft last night. And you were talking about um, if you start punting or if you start overloading in one place. You did this in the first one too where you had too many stolen bases. It, it, you don't know the targets. You don't know what you know what the standing points gained totals are. You don't know how what the end of season leaderboard looks like. You know, like you have no context basically. And uh, but running it a second time, we allowed people to see. Okay, this is what you need in here. This is what you need in here. And uh, Sean Tuxel and Kevin Hoffman 
with Monroe's Reformed Doctrine, came out on top. So congratulations to those two. Uh, they uh, they won it all, and uh, they sent a brief description in their email about how they thought they would win it all. <laughs> <laughs> but um, another thing that came uh, bubbling to the top was that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, the top eight teams after we ran it again all use the Mark Eichhorn gambit. It's amazing that Mark Eichhorn has become such a, an important person in our fantasy universe uh, 30 plus years after he made his contributions so hugh james scott e jeff g pete r ryan p and kyle m you are numbers two through eight and horacio g you're nine and eugene f is 10 so that's interesting the uh, uh i wanted to point out that eugene f actually used a closer and he's the only one in the top 17 to use a closer. And then there's uh, two people who use the closer until you get down to 23rd, where uh, it was the closers only teams. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the one thing is, though, using Icorn by himself was worth 33 points because if you were in the bottom group of saves punters, you got 22 points. Uh, for the category, but if you were in the group that had 10 saves, the Icorn uh, group, you got 55 points in saves. Uh, and that's a big deal because 1,853 won it all. Um, if you take 30 points off of that, uh, you go all the way down to sixth place. That's a big drop. So, um, you know, the Icorn gamut was big. Uh, and then beyond that, I was trying to look at, at, at Sean's team um, I think that one thing that stands out is how strong they were in runs. Um, one of the uh, seasons that I haven't seen used a ton was Sammy Sosa's 1998. Uh, yes, 66 home runs, but 134 runs and 158 RBI. Um, he also had Ryan Howard with the Phillies, who had 104 runs and 149 RBI. Um, you know, Ken Griffey with the Mariners, Barry Bonds with the Giants, and Mike Trout with the Angels. Those are slightly more used uh, seasons. But he also used Jose Canseco from the A's for 120 runs and 124 RBI. Uh, so uh, that was one thing. The other thing that he did really well was keep his whip really low. Um, and one thing that stood out for me was using Garrett Cole's 2019 season, uh, which he had a 250 ERA, but he also had a .89 whip. Um, along with a ton of strikeouts, 326 strikeouts in 212 innings. Uh, that's That was a big deal. Also, he had a lot of innings. His lowest uh, starter total was uh, Blake Snell's 2018 with 180. Everyone else had over uh, 198 to 200. Um, and then Icorn with 157. So uh, just a really good job of understanding the benchmarks. He had the Tim Raines hack in there. Uh, the Tim Raines at second base hack. Uh, Yvonne Rodriguez's 1999 is on, in there, of course. Um, and um, uh, just a really good use, a really good uh, 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 team there. And I wonder how he, how whatever his 80s, his 80s guys are. Robin Yount at shortstop. Oh, it was it was 82? It's 82. That's Is that the year you had a draft? Yeah, because that season was nuts. Yeah. 
He used Robin Yount from the 82 draft, 129 runs, 114 RBI, 29 homers, 14 steals, 331 average. That's a great year. Tim Raines was his other 80s guy. Um, and then Mike Eichhorn was his third. And Dwight Gooden, 85, which most people use, I would have to say. So the 90, the 1990 draft from last night, the season that really caught my eye going through that was Dennis Eckersley, who at age 35 as a closer, had 73 and a third innings of .61 ERA and .61 whip, and a strikeout per inning, which wasn't a lock back then for good relievers, and 48 saves to go along with it. And I'm kind of wondering, is that underutilized in Project GOAT because of the Conseco and McGuire and Ricky Henderson seasons that would probably be more appealing as you put those together? Yeah, you know... Also, unfortunately, he only had like four wins. And yep, that's true. It's a big deal with the relievers, too, making sure the wins came with the saves in those years. Yeah, and you saw that was a bigger deal even in 1982 when um, they pitched more innings and got more wins. Man, drafted Dan Spilner in the fourth round of that draft. <laughs> but a .61 ERA is pretty exciting. Uh, I mean, that's that's like you'd, you'd be happy with that as a whip. Yeah, I just love that he matched his ERA and his whip, and both numbers were absurd. Yeah. He actually hit a point. He hit a point six one whip in nineteen eighty nine too. So he had back to back seasons with a point six one whip. Damn, it's impressive. That's some utter dominance right there. But uh, yeah, congrats to the uh, the duo for uh, taking that down. That was uh, I, when when they sent their email with that entry. By the way, like I, I had a feeling that one was going to do very well. Yeah, they, 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 they basically told us how much they would have beaten the last winner by, which is like, you're like, okay, <laughs> I think, I think you've done the the math here. <laughs> they have the ferocity of your cats. Yeah, and he has a scoring calculator built out, so <laughs> that helps. That definitely helps. But thanks to everybody who participated in round two of Project Goat. Um, at this time, we don't have an announcement about another version or a third round. We'll kind of think about that for a little while before potentially doing something uh, along those lines. If there's still interest, you know, maybe we'll put something out there in a couple of weeks. If you're bored in the house, like bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new replacement blade refill for your trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts, a travel bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs. Go to manscaped.com today and use the code the athletic i don't think i've ever been able to say about a sponsor that i put it on my balls and i liked it <laughs> so there's that uh, you've there have there've been about three things in the year plus that we've done this show that you've said that i literally don't have a response for and that is one of the three <laughs> 
Sung Bong Na, home run. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will move us on to he our moved, he lost, bag question. He lost all of last year to a knee injury. He looks like he's back. Uh, he's also a Scott Boris client, amazingly. So, hey, there you go. Let's go to the mailbag. I uh, had a great question come in. This question was from Jonathan, and he was wondering what constitutes a number one as it pertains to starting pitchers. It seems like there should be 30 starting pitcher number ones, obviously not one for each team, but when I read prospect rankings, it seems like there are very few one or two starting pitchers. Is the standard to be a number one greater than being a top 30 starting pitcher? So what's your take on this? You know, because I think the... The designation of number one, number two, number three—you know—as as you label a starter, I almost think different people interpret it different ways. Like some people in in the fantasy community, if you say someone's a future number four or number five starter, it's almost like a cut on them. But if you talk to somebody who's actually trying to develop talent and find players to fill out a big league rotation, saying someone has the future of a number four or number five starter is not an insult at all. Maybe it's they're at least a starter. You know, they're a starter. <laughs> yeah, it means they're not a reliever, right, which exactly. you know, would, would be a little more of a, a dig maybe on their skill set. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's the there's a few different ways to use it. One is uh, scouting. One is just sort of regular fandom. Uh, and one is fantasy. And, of course, the fantasy one is the most complicated because it's complicated by league size. I think that they're... Um, there are different sort of thresholds for excellence. I mean, um, is he a number? Are, are there twelve number ones in a twelve-team league? <sighs> is it is it league I, I think specific? It, I, think it's, I think it's pool dependent. Yeah. I think there are times when pitching is rich or deep, and there are times when it's you know shallow. And right now, it's a good question. Are, are we in a a prime time, a, a deep pitching pool right now? Are we in a normal pitching pool? Or are we in a shallow pitching pool? I think it's been complicated by the fact that I think the the reliever pitching pool is big, is deeper than it's ever been. I think the sixth best reliever on your squad would be the second or third best reliever years before. Um, when it comes to starting pitching, I think the answer is more complicated. Uh, we have wins above replacement. It's just, it's not a perfect stat, but let's just look at it because wins above replacement, you've got uh, four wins is an all-star, right? So we've got 24 pitchers that had more than four wins last year. Um, okay, so if there are 30 teams, uh, do you want to really push it uh, to the top 30 pitchers? Because then uh, Marco Gonzalez, Eduardo Rodriguez, and Jose Quintana are on there. I think... There are not 30 aces. There are obviously no, going to no. be teams like the Yankees or or Astros that have more than one ace. So if there's a team that like them that have more than one ace, that I think the the the, the opposite follows, which is there are teams that have no ace in terms of you know a team like a respected ace with a capital A, right? Right. The label the label is not distributed based on the number of teams in the league and everybody so they're being allotted one there you go so there's not 12 aces in a 12 team fantasy league either i think that those two things follow each other right uh and they and they go back to your pool idea okay so let's go back to this pool of the, the top 24 that uh, are all all stars the back end of it uh is mike soroka luis castillo kyle hendricks mike minor i you know luis castillo is the ace of the reds and Maybe with another season or two, I would be cons- I would I would feel 
cool calling him an ace. I don't know about. I mean, Soroka is borderline ace, but very young. Uh, like Kyle Hunt, calling Kyle, Kyle Hendricks an ace doesn't make sense to me. And a couple up from him is Jake Odorizzi. I they just if you're gonna do like a smell test, um, <laughs> I just they they don't they don't make my smell test. No, no, you got to smell gas from the strikeouts. Yeah, you got to. I think there has to be an element of dominance, strikeouts, gas. I think that's got to be part of it. So I think where it gets the really the hardest for me is when you start getting under rank twenty. So basically, uh, last year Noah Syndergaard, Jose Barrios, Mike Clevenger, Zach Wheeler, uh, Jack Flaherty. Okay, so Wheeler's had some ups and downs, but he got paid. I don't know. Did he get paid like an ace? Not really. He got paid like a. He got paid like a two three. Yeah, he got he got paid like a two, who could still become a one, right? <laughs> like, yeah, if, yeah, which is such a weird subjective way to describe him. Still, and like, Ryu, I, I don't Ryu, feel good with that. Ryu was twelfth last year, and Ryu got a similar deal to Wheeler in that it was a lot of money, but it wasn't as much as others, right? Right, it wasn't Strasburg like Cole. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think it's almost like the big hall, small hall thing, where. Um, you know, some people will say there are there are five aces, and their names are Cole, Degrom, Scherzer, Verlander, and uh, Strasburg. Maybe, hmm. maybe somebody gets mad. So, I left Sale out or Walker Bueller. You know, but that that's your small haul. I think your big haul includes uh, Shane Bieber, uh, Charlie Morton, uh, maybe Ryu, Corbin, Flaherty. Uh, Clevenger, Barrios, Cindergard. So I'd say that uh, there are five to ten aces in in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably come up with a, a similar number using a reasonably similar process. I mean, I think it's it's all just kind of fun and subjective, and yeah. creates debate more than anything else. Uh, I, I guess we could try and define. Could be an worth a future, could be worth right? an article. Yeah, what's an ace? Like what really is an ace? And I bet you could ask old scouts about that, and you mm-hmm. could ask, you know, people. Yeah. Who play fans. Well, thanks for the idea. Fans, yeah. I'm a little yeah. low on ideas. It's a pretty good idea. I think I'll use that one. <laughs> well, thank you uh, very much for the question, Jonathan. Both pod fodder and possibly article fodder as well. Uh, another question came in from Daniel. It's a follow-up to the Mitch Keller question last week. We talked about Mitch Keller having kind of a, a bad straight fastball. So Daniel wanted to know, is there any way for a pitcher to add or develop more movement on the fastball via a grip change or by some other means? Yeah, yeah. Um, there. This is the work of the modern pitching coach is to take a player, and I've seen these plans. The plans include um, basically where you are on a movement heat map and then what the good parts of the movement heat map look like. So... Basically, they'll show you this is how your sinker moves and this is how good sinkers move and we need to get towards that. And then they'll have a list of different cues that they can go through um, and and try them out basically until they get the movement they want. Um, and those cues will include um, grips. They'll include um, sort of release thoughts like I want to get around side the ball. I want to I want to get out in front. I want to get this out. I want to release this out far as far front as me as possible um i want to stay behind the ball um i want to put pressure on my middle finger i want to put pressure on my 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 index finger so there's all sorts of things upon release uh that they can figure on 
I think um, those are the basic cues that people go through because those are easily changeable and they can they can actually uh, give you a lot of uh, results. Um, you know, just think of how many people were like, oh, I just changed the grip on my change up and, and boom, there it is. So when you start you sort of going up the kinetic chain back towards um, the beginning, there are things that you don't want to change as much because they can lead to injury and that are harder to change. So think about asking a player to change his arm slot. Uh, on the extremes, when a guy goes to submarine or comes back or whatever, it takes years. But even asking a guy to change his arm slot two or three inches, I think, is a big deal because the arm slot is a product of the, your entire body moving in a certain direction. You know, like your body has a rhythm, you, you, your, 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 your motion has a rhythm, and if you're asking them to change something fundamental about it, it's, it's a rebuild. Right, it's a macro change. Yeah. Yes, it's a macro change. And if you're asking them to, to just... Uh, concentrate on a different finger upon release. I mean, you know, as crazy as that sounds, because when I I tried to throw in front of the machines, all I could think about was like, I'm gonna load my scap. I'm gonna I'm gonna slam my front foot down. I'm gonna turn around. All the stuff that people think about for velocity, because I wanted to throw as hard as I could. There was I had no idea what the ball would look like or where it would go once I let go. You know? <laughs> Zero command, not even twenty command. Yeah. Zero command. And then the result was something that Andrew Perpetua said uh, moved like the very worst hanging slider that you might ever see in pro baseball. <laughs> so uh basically just gravity no movement um but uh i talked to um uh, michael lorenzen who's not even uh i would say an elite reliever um and he was talking about the difference between a slider and cutter was just how long he kept his middle finger on the ball and that he would just sort of think about as he was releasing the ball his middle finger differently and i was like that's crazy <laughs> that's, a, that's a micro level change yeah. like, <laughs> but to think that you could do that is totally insane but what's happened is you've built up your delivery you, you've done all the macro stuff so many times that you're not thinking about that stuff anymore and now you can think about what you're doing at the last moment with your with your index finger or your middle finger so um you know can mitch keller and, and the fastball is also so fundamental that almost changes to the fastball feel like macro level changes you know what i mean and also once they get to the major leagues and maybe if they've had a year or two in the major leagues it's it's pretty rare to see um gross changes big large changes in fastball movement uh just because a the fastball is fundamental b uh it it, it sort of depends the most on your macro level stuff it's Everything is sort of based off of your mechanics with the fastball. And C, they probably run through all those different micro-level changes and nothing stuck. Right, yeah. And there's probably, I mean, thinking about it this way too, the fastball would be a little more, a little bit more difficult to change because if you look at Keller as an example, just from what he did in the big leagues last year, he threw his fastball three times more than he threw any one of his other pitches. He's had a lot, a lot of practice lot doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just more ingrained. So if you start yeah. tinkering with that, it might be it might be more difficult to make that change. At least that seems like a very reasonable hypothesis, at least. I, I've seen, like, Sonny Gray has a weird fastball. And, oh, this is a great, a great example of it. Here we go. 
Sonny Gray has a has a weird fastball because it's high spin, but it is not high ride. He does not have good spin efficiency. He does not turn most of his spin into ride. And that's partially because of his arm slot. He's kind of a, uh, I guess you would call like a two-thirds or something. It's not, he's not, he's not anywhere close to over the top. And so, um, you know, when he went to the Yankees, they said, oh, you have a high spin fastball, throw it high in the zone. Well, unfortunately, it's not a high ride fastball and he, he's, doesn't have a lot of, uh, confidence or, um, or history throwing high in the zone. So he got pummeled high in the zone. Uh, they asked him to do a couple other things he couldn't repeat very well. He comes to the Reds, and the Reds say, okay, let's try and turn the spin into ride. And they have him throwing at Vanderbilt. And Sonny Gray said, if I pretended to be pronating, so this is his, his, his thought, his, his, his cue upon release. If he pretended to be dragging his, his, his index finger sort of down towards the ground, that's pronating, right? If he concentrated on that, he could get good ride on one out of every four fastballs. Hmm. That, that's not enough. That's not enough. <laughs> that's not going to work. That's not going to work because you're going to you're going to go out there and and try to throw to major league hitters and one out of every four fastballs does what you want it to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might get lucky, get like a called strike on one. You're going to give up a double on the other and a homer on the other one. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, because, you're swing and miss on that fourth one. Because ride, uh, especially for him, is on the order of three or four inches. Think about three or four inches at the top of the zone. You know, <laughs> like you're 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 like you're like oh this one's gonna have that extra four inches of ride. I know it, and then it's dead center up up in the zone. That's like half of baseball can hit a homer off that. Yeah, I mean that was kind of like the Dixon Machado home run. Yeah, that we just talked about earlier. Yeah. Missed high. So. Um, yeah, and there's plenty of players who've just made a living power-wise just just hitting those high pitches. Now that pitchers are hit, throwing more high pitches, and uh, if they miss a little bit up high, it's a home run. So, um, you know, uh, I just think that uh, it's it's more likely that Keller's excellence comes from a pitch mix change than it does from a uh, fastball movement change. Right, and he has enough other weapons to make it work even without an overhaul of that fastball. Anyway, I think that was one of the, the takeaways from, from last week. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, you know, uh, one more mailbag question. This is one that came in couple weeks ago now from from Larry uh, there is a scout for the Astros who is selling his 2017 World Series ring so Larry wanted to know if you could buy a World Series ring what team would you want what year and what player ring would you like to have you know um, the uh, I grew up in Atlanta and I was there from 1986 or 87 
uh, till 94 when I went away to boarding school. And that was, uh, you know, just a huge, um, a huge time in the, uh, Braves, uh, Braves history, you know, and I got to see them kind of go worst to first. If they'd won, um, in 91, I think it was against the twins. Um, I I would have chosen that, you know, because that was just a magical season. Worst to first, both the twins and the Braves worst to first, um, just a, a really good series, I thought, and um, a culmination of a four-year thing in Atlanta where they kind of put all the pieces together to finally get there. Uh, but they won in 1995, and um, I think that was a little bit of redemption because they had already got started to get the Buffalo Bills uh, treatment where it was the idea that they, uh, they couldn't uh, win it. And um, yeah, I... I should want. I mean, Tom Glavin won the 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 the, the final game, um, and I should maybe want um, you know his uh, his ring or something. Um, and I don't even remember exactly uh, what John Smoltz did if he was a reliever at that point, um, or if you know he wasn't a reliever. But it doesn't even look like he got a win in the series. Um, I don't care, John Smoltz. I want John Smoltz's 1995 ring. That was um, that was the World Series. So when I was a kid, I, I rooted for the Braves, and I was so excited because that was the first time and the only time that my favorite team had ever won a World Series. And the Braves are still not my favorite team today as I moved to Wisconsin in eighth grade. I started going to a bunch of Brewers games. The Brewers became my team because I think when you're a kid especially, it's it's okay to pick a different team. You can you can live with that. So I like that choice quite a bit. Um, my my choice for this one is is a little bit different. I was just thinking about baseball history, and uh, I know John Shea has got a book coming out about Willie Mays, and I think I've got right here my on my desk. Is, I helped, yes, I have to work on it. I'm really looking forward to reading that. Yeah. And so so Willie Mays. When people say, "Who's the player that you wish you could have watched?" Willie Mays is the guy that I wish I could have watched. Mm. Just could do everything, right? And fortunately, Willie Mays was on a World Series winning team in 1954. The New York Giants won the World Series, and Willie Mays was the MVP that year. It was probably the best overall season of his career. And uh, I, I think my choice would be the Willie Mays 1954 Giants World Series ring, just for that reason, just because I, I think his place in history is almost somehow overlooked. Like He's clearly a great. People recognize him as a great, but he might be the best ever. Like He, he might be that guy. Like There's an argument for that. And you also consider some of the things going on around that time, including the fact that uh, he was fulfilling a military obligation in 1953. So he didn't even play the previous season, came back in 1954, won the MVP, and his team won the World Series. Like To me, that's one of the most special pieces of baseball history that you can find and it happens to satisfy this question is you know a world series ring i would say you know some of the things that stand out for me is that willie mays was amazing at all facets of the game you know there's no there's no statistical like foible you know there's no like oh but he didn't X, Y, or Z. Like, you can even do it uh, to some extent with Babe Ruth, who was not a good defender. 
Right. Uh, Barry Bonds was not a great defender. Willie Mays was a better base runner and a much better defender than Bonds. Um, and that, to me, is the troika at the very top of baseball. Um, and yet you don't hear it as much. You know, I think you're right. I don't think you hear as much about Willie Mays um, as you do about the other two. So, um, and, you know, and Barry Bonds has his own asterisk. So if you want a well-rounded player, like the best center fielder of all time, you want Willie Mays. A 5'10", 170-pound center fielder who won 12 gold gloves, was a 24-time All-Star, and he hit 660 home runs. Yeah. Like, you're right. There, there's no, there was no flaw in his game, yeah. which I think is, is a huge, huge punctuation mark on the fact that he really could be the best player of all time. But uh, as I mentioned, I'm really looking forward to reading John's book about Willie Mays because... Obviously, as a, a child of the '80s, um, I didn't get to watch Willie Mays play, and that's that's one of those things that if I had a time machine, I'd want to watch Willie Mays play baseball. Uh, quick update on the beer bracket: it came to a close over the weekend, right? You know, that's right, that's right. And uh, I I was kind of hoping this wouldn't happen, but it did come to an all IPA final, uh, and it was Founders All Day against Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Um, and, um, should I announce who won? I'm going to write it. I didn't know if you, I I actually didn't know if you'd previously announced it. I have not. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to not announce it just now. Uh, if you voted in it, you know, um, and, uh, I'm going to, I'm trying to, uh, announce it in an interesting way. Uh, so I'll leave that out there, but yeah, founders all day versus, uh, versus Sierra and, uh, you know, the final four included Guinness and Yingling, um, which I thought was interesting. Yingling went really far, uh, beat, def- defeated all the loggers, uh, defeated Stella Artois, you know, just fe- just came out of that light bracket uh, on fire. I kind of figured Founders and Guinness would be there. Uh, they just seemed like the, uh, the obvious. I mean, there's tons of cases and cases and cases of Founders all day have been sold. It's a really great... Uh, ballpark beer that's available in a lot of ballparks. Um, it's kind of, it's getting close to being like the, I don't want to bother with beer. This is the best quick thing I can get at every ballpark. It's, it's really close to being that. Um, and for good reason, it's a crusher. It's, it tastes great. It's uh, light and it's a, uh, it's a great day drinker. So, um, Sierra is also, um, ubiquitous on the West coast. At least, uh, you can get it anywhere in the airport at the game you know, um, wherever you want it. So, um, you know, that ha- it has that goat feeling and, uh, that made sense to me. Guinness is, uh, super popular and really smooth for how dark it is and how, and, and, and like, it's only like 120 calories. So it's not even like a, a thick, like put me to sleep type beer, you know, uh, it's like kind of like a, a crusher on the dark side. So I kind of, I kind of figured this something like this. Youngling was a big surprise for me, but I guess they've got a dedicated fan base uh, that were passionate in this bracket. That holds up, though, because there are a lot of people I know who don't necessarily even care about craft beer who will, when they have a friend crossing state lines in which Yingling is sold, they will have their friend bring <laughs> them back a case or a couple 12-packs, whatever it might be. It it's strange. It's it's a non-craft beer that the typical beer drinker seeks out. 
So they, they definitely have that that covered. So I'm not surprised to hear that Yingling did really well in, in the bracket. Uh, if I had to make a, a wager on a future bracket, let's say this, this happens again next year, five years down the road, whenever, but especially if you're looking like three to five years down the road, I bet Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale would be replaced by Hazy Little Thing. And I bet Hazy Little Thing has a shot at making a run at the founders all day. I, I think those are, are in line with like the tastes of beer drinkers for the next few years. I think maybe just not enough people have had it yet because um, I, I I thought that that would go further. I thought that it might go further than Sierra in this one, uh, regular pale ale in this one. But um, it's just, you know, uh, to some, you know, pale ales are still bitter, uh, hot bombs, and um, I think they may need some nudging to try a hazy little thing because that's um, – a, a new take on the IPA. I think it it uh, it tastes different. Um, it, and, it'll and, happen though. All day was kind of different when it came out too. Yeah, exactly. And 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 both those beers have nothing to do with Sierra Pale Ale or even Boston uh, Samuel Adams Boston Lager or Stone IPA. The first the first group of uh, of craft beer IPAs, right? Like if 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 the first time you had an IPA was in that group. Then I can see how you thought, you know, these are bitter beers. But if you can go out and try an all day or a hazy little thing, um, you may find that IPAs have changed dramatically um, uh, since those days. So um, I'm not hectoring anyone. I'm just saying, like, you know, uh, <laughs> if you don't like IPAs still after those two, then fine. You don't like them, it's good. I don't. It's not no skin off my back. Uh, but um, I, I thought it was a it was a thing that. That sort of um, it came together about as I expected with a couple surprises, which is what you like like to see, really. Yeah, I'm curious to see what the final result actually is. I didn't vote in the final, so I don't even know who won yet. So I'll keep an eye out for your piece on that here in the next few days. If you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take a moment to do that. We really appreciate it. It helps people who don't know about our show actually find it. So. We appreciate everybody who's actually done that already. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get a free 90-day trial at theathletic.com slash free 90 days. And if you're able to support the site with a paid subscription, you can get 40% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. As always, you can reach us via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com to spell out the word and. If you send us an email, you can find Eno on Twitter at Enoceris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening.